Father, we just come to you one last time. And Lord, we worship you and we honor you and we thank you for your word. You've spoken to us this morning, God, and you are drawing hearts right now, Holy Spirit. And God, you've, you've answered our prayers. You've brought healing. You've brought deliverance. And Lord, we just, we just come against all of the powers of darkness right now in the name of Jesus. And we magnify you in every situation. We ask you, Lord, to send forth your word this morning to bring salvation, to bring healing, to bring deliverance, God, and that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven in every situation, God. We receive. Lord, our ears are open, our hearts are open, our minds are open, and we trust you by your word to change us this morning, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Y'all may be seated. So we've been talking about spiritual warfare. This is our third uh, sermon on spiritual warfare, and I'm going to call this one. I've got notes for you if you got the notes and the little thing there, but I don't have any points. All I did was give you some verses, and you can write your own points down because there's going to be uh, quite a few different things here, but this is a, is a very important aspect of spiritual warfare that is often underlooked or overlooked, and I'm going to call it uh, the devil's device. And, and the devil's device, he's got a lot of devices. He's got a lot of strategies but according to the first verses that I'm going to read, one of his primary strategies that I want to cover is bitterness and unforgiveness. So we're going to jump into it in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, uh, verses 10 and 11. Here's what it says. I want you to pay attention to these two verses. Paul is writing and he says, Now whom you forgive anything, I also forgive. For if indeed I have forgiven anything... I have forgiven that one for your sakes in the presence of Christ. And then he says this, Lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. We're not ignorant of his devices. Now that word devices, in some translations, is going to be translated strategies or schemes or, 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 or these different tactics that he brings. But he is saying right here that, that Paul is saying he's forgiving because to not forgive is literally to be taken advantage of by Satan. And he's saying, look, we have to choose to forgive because this is one of the primary strategies that Satan is going to use against us. And here's, here's the truth is that Satan goes about, he's walking about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And in my ministry, I've, I've, I used to teach this, this verse all the time and I would teach about the different strategies of Satan and his tactics. And man, I could make a list of a hundred but if I really get down into ministry and I take an evaluation of what I've seen in ministry and the things that I've seen, how, how Satan really binds people up and really gets a stronghold into their life. Again, there are multiple ways that he does it. But one of the primary strategies that he uses, and maybe even one of the first one that he uses before he gets a, a root in any other area of your life, is he looks to cause some kind of pain, some kind of trauma, some kind of offense in order for that pain to get into your heart until bitterness and unforgiveness takes root. And once that takes root, all of a sudden, he begins to infect not only your heart so that you can't follow Jesus and you can't live for Jesus the, the way that you need to, but because you're so hurting, you begin to hurt others as well. And what's going on in your heart begins to spread like a cancer to the rest of the Christian body, your family, and all your friends and the people around you. And he understands this better than anybody. 
And so his goal in the church among the people of God even, we're not talking about people that are just out in the world. We're talking about the people in the church is that he is looking to cause division. He's looking to cause pain. But when those things happen, when offense happens, he so wants you to take up that offense and allow it to begin to infect your soul. That's what he's looking to do. And here's, here's, the, here's the thing, though, is oftentimes Satan is very good at convincing us that when we're hurt, we're justified in holding that grudge, holding that offense, not forgiving that person. And he actually convinces us that by holding the grudge, we're making these people pay, but the truth is we're paying the whole bill. And we don't even realize it very often. And these things happen all the time. And what Paul is saying here is that you have to be wise because the statement that he made that Satan could take advantage of us because he has strategies and devices against you means that you've got to be wise because this presupposes that Satan is a literal intelligent being who has strategies and tactics in order to bring you into bondage so that you do not become the person that God has called you to be. Now, that's just what he wants. And here's the thing. If he is wise and he has strategies against us, one of the primary things that he is going to come against, and you've got to agree with me on this, is our relationships. Because to the degree that any of our relationships have love, they are reflecting the image of Christ. And Satan hates when our relationships reflect the image of Christ. Look, the Bible says that we're made in the image of God. We're created in the image of God. God is a three-person. He's one God, but He's three persons. And God exists eternally in communication and love and oneness. And how God is revealed is God pours out His love on the Son. The Son pours His love back out on the Father. So God as one God is in His eternal, existent relationship of love. And to the degree that my relationship and your relationships and all our relationships with our family, with our spouses, with our friends, when they reflect love and when they are full of love, they reflect the image of God. And Satan hates this, so the first thing that he wants to come against is he's going to attack our marriages... He's going to attack our churches and try to get people to be very analytical, very critical, very judgmental. Going to try to get people to be very sensitive. Anybody amen me on this this morning? He wants us to come in here as sensitive as we possibly can be so everybody will walk around on eggshells because we're scared to death to step on somebody's toes and offend people. Anybody amen me? I cannot tell you the amount of times in Christian ministry I've heard people come to me and say, well, I'm just afraid to do this because I'm afraid I don't want to step on anybody's toes. That should never have to be said in the church. We shouldn't be afraid of getting our toes stepped on. You know why? Because we live according to a different ethic. Even if you do step on my toes, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to say, I forgive you. I don't, I ne- as a Christian, I don't have the right, if you step on my toes, to hold it against you. You're my brother. You're my sister. Matter of fact, I'm going to expect that from time to time you are going to step on my toes. And every now and then it's going to hurt a little bit. But that still never gives me the right to take up offense, to be sensitive, to be bitter, to get angry, to do any of these things. See, he wants to divide us, and he wants us to be sensitive. He wants us to be angry. And let me tell you, you get a million thoughts in your head. Justin and I were talking about it this morning. You come, I do the same thing. You could look at a person across the room, and they just have a different look on their face, and you could think, oh, my gosh, they're mad at me. <laughs> I mean, so-and-so didn't come to church this morning. I must have said something to them the other day. I mean, I don't know. 
You know, I mean, living like that in torment, who's at work behind this? This is the strategy of Satan because he wants so badly to bring division and anger and frustration into the people of God so that he weakens the body of Christ and breaks our unity. And here's what I've come to find. As you go out in ministry and even in the church, everybody everywhere is hurt. Church hurt, church hurt, church hurt, church hurt. I mean, I, I hear church hurt till it's like, you know, I mean, it's, it's like daggone. There, there are entire ministries now that are built on hoping to draw in those people who are de-churched. You realize that? That their whole church growth model is based on the fact that, guess what? Everybody's been slaughtered and hurt all over the churches in the world. So let's be a church that reaches out to those who have been hurt so that they'll come in and we'll just never say anything offensive and, and try to protect them and nurture them and care for them. And that's good to some degree. We, wanna, we want, look... When you're hurt, I don't want to downplay that. People get hurt and people need healing. I'd never want to downplay that. And, and this is going to be a tough message because, because Jesus deals with it in a way that sometimes we want to... Sometimes I'll just be honest with you. I'm the same way, but sometimes when we get hurt, when I get hurt, I want to hold on to the right to stay angry. I just do. And it's something that Jesus really comes against because we have to realize that we cannot... We have no license to stay there in Scripture. And, I, and, and I, I've done this too in ministry. You know, when people get hurt really, really badly, and here's what I've come to find out because, because the Lord has sort of rebuked me for it several times. But, but sometimes what we want to do is when we find out that people have been hurt, we want to we say, oh, man, that's just terrible. I can't believe they did that to you and this and that and this and that. And you know what? Maybe that's okay in the beginning, but you never want to give a person license to stay where they're at in hurt. Because Jesus never once gave anybody license to stay in a position of bitterness and hurt and anger. And what you've got to understand is that Satan is the ultimate divider. He is constantly sowing seeds of distrust, of slander, of accusation, pointing fingers at, at, one, at each other in order so that he can take advantage of us. Now, we've read the verse several times, Ephesians six twelve, and it says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and the rulers of the darkness of this world and against spiritual wickedness in heavenly places. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. Now, what I would ask is why did, he, why did he have to preface it with the fact that we wrestle not against human beings? Why wouldn't he just come out and say, hey, we're fighting against demons and stuff? Why would he preface it with, hey, we're not fighting against human beings. We're not fighting against these people because I believe they're two sides of the same coin. We're either... We're either resisting the powers that are trying to divide us and turn us against each other or we're being played by the powers and we are being divided from one another and being hurt by one another. It's two sides of the same coin. We are either resisting the enemy who is constantly trying to divide us or we're being played by the enemy who is actually causing us to be divided. Amen? So he's saying they're two sides of the same coin. These things go hand in hand. They work together. And here's the thing. If we are truly resisting the powers of darkness, here's what you have to understand, is that we live in a position where we see all human beings, no matter where they've been, no matter what they've done, no matter what they've done to me, we look at all human beings as if they are worth dying for because Jesus looked at them and said, even when they were in their sins and trespasses, I chose to give my life for them on the cross. They're of unsurpassable worth at all times, no matter what they've done, because that's how Jesus views them. Isn't that kind of difficult to swallow at first? 
It's easy to say in principle, it's easy to say in theory, but what that means is that we resist the powers of darkness by refusing to never not love anyone for any reason. We refuse to never not love anyone for any reason. We choose love every time, all the time. Here's what Jesus says about it, Matthew 5, verse 21 through 26. Check this out. Matthew 5, he says, Now you've heard it said that those of old, by those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother... Now, the New King James Version says without a cause. That's not going to be in other versions. I think King James may have added it in there just because he wanted to give himself a little justification. I'm not sure, but it's not in most versions. It says, whoever is angry at his brother shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, which literally it's, it, it's a word that basically means uh, you're worthless or something like that. So he's saying, Raka shall be in danger of the council, but whoever says you fool shall be in danger of hellfire. Man, that's a hard word, ain't it, Jesus? Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift before the, there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Agree with your adversary quickly while you're on the way with him, lest your adversary deliver you to the judge. The judge hand you over to the officer, and you be thrown into prison. Assuredly, I say to you, you will by no means get out of there till you have paid the last penny. Now, here's what he's saying. He's saying, look, you've offended someone. You've hurt someone. He literally is saying this. Like, when you came to church this morning, man, everybody's worshiping. We had a good worship service, didn't we? Right? It was good this morning. We're, we're getting lost in worship. We're giving God praise. And here's what he's saying. In our modern context, he's saying, now, you come forward, and you're vibrant in worship, man, and you're just pouring it out, and that's good. You need to do that. But he says, if you're bringing that kind of worship to the altar, and you're worshiping God, and you realize in your heart that your brother has something against you, not that you have something against your brother, but you realize your brother has something against you. He's saying, you go to your brother and make things right before you come back into this place of worship. What he's saying is, is that you cannot truly worship me and have these, these grievances between you and your brothers and sisters. There's going to be some kind of a blockage going on in, in there because if we're not loving one another in our relationships here, we can't fully love God in our relationship here. He says, they go hand in hand. The fulfillment of the law is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And he's saying as long as there's something in between you all that your worship is not full, there's some kind of blockage that's going on in your heart. And here's what I love. He, lo he uses the language of family. He says if your brother has something against you. Now, in the, in the Scripture, it, he uses the language of family, but why, why he says that is because when it comes to family, guess what? You don't have, you don't have the right to just walk away. Do you know how often... In churches, people get hurt, people get offended, and rather than talking about it, you know what they do? They just leave. They say, I ain't, ain't going to put up with this. I ain't going to deal with this. Anybody amen me this morning? That's what we do, don't we? Because we hate confrontation. We hate to have to deal with these things. We hate to... And let me tell you something. Satan is always at work in this. Donald has even told this several times. When I, when I first moved here, me and Donald, we, 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 on occasion, we got into this place where 
I guess maybe there was, a, there was a difference in personality and he said some things to me and maybe I said some things to him and one thing went one way, one thing went another. But let me tell you something. If there's something that Satan wants to do, can you imagine how, how excited he would be if he could divide pastors that are over church? He's like, man, that'd be great. I'd love to get Donald to dislike and Clay and Clay disliking Donald. That'd be amazing. Matter of fact, if I could just sow some seeds of discord among them, maybe I could just split this whole daggone church, right? That's what he's thinking. That's what's in his mind. And so there was, a, there was a point even in our relationship. Now, if pastors can experience that, then, then what? how much more so anybody else? But I'm telling you, so, so I brought this thing before the Lord, and I thought, man, I know it's something in my heart that needs to be dealt with, but if I don't bring it out to the surface, then it's, go, it's going to damage our relationship, and I can't allow it. And so I went to him, and I said, Donald, this is just how I feel. This is what's going on. And he said, man, I'm sorry. If I'd have known, if I'd have known that was what was going on, I would have never, never even done that. And he responded the way somebody's supposed to respond. But here's what you, my point being is that if two pastors need to do it, everybody else has obviously got to do it too. But the fact of the matter is, it's not that it shouldn't happen. You need to assume that it's going to happen it's going to happen in every relationship you're in with your spouse with your best friend with your pastor with me it's likely going to happen that at some point there's going to be something in our relationship because we're imperfect you might get offended at me you might get hurt at me but the issue is not whether or not it happens it's going to the issue is how we respond to it when it does happen and when it does happen, we freak out like it should have never. Well, I can't believe this. I'm, I, believe it. It's going to happen. Expect it. Wait on it. That way when it does happen, you're not so shocked. And you can say, you know what? Guess what? Jesus and the New Testament authors have only written about this a hundred times in Scripture. So we got plenty of references to go to the Scripture and figure out what we're supposed to do in these situations. I talk, man, Donald and I joke about it now because we were doing what the Scripture said when we resolved this little issue in our relationship, and it, and it fixed things. We resolved that little issue in our relationship. But we talk about Matthew 18 and, and things in Scripture like that we're reading to others. And Donald jokes all the time. He said, yeah, you can preach it, but they ain't going to do it. Because people, I'm telling you, people do not want to do this. Amen. They just don't. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's, if it's because the demonic gets such a stronghold in people's lives, but they do not want to deal with these issues. But see, you have to realize that you've got to take responsibility. You've got to take responsibility. You've got to go to a person, even if you think that they've got something against you. You never have the right. I'm telling you, and this is what you're going to have to learn quick, is there are times when I have thought I was right, I've thought I'm the one that's right, I'm the one that's right, they need to come to me. I've thought that in my mind. And you know what I've had to do? Because the Lord keeps pressing me. Go tell him you're wrong. <laughs> but I ain't wrong, God. He said, you've always been wrong, son. <laughs> you ain't never been right. I said, all right, Lord. You know, I'm wrong. I'm sorry. I should have never done that. And you know what that does? It unlocks their heart. And they say, you know what? I was wrong. And they say, you know what? We're both wrong. Praise God. Set you free when you're both wrong. <laughs> and this is what he's saying. He said, look, he, he uses these words, raka, good for nothing. He said, you call somebody good for nothing. You call somebody a fool. He said, this is coming from a place of pride. It's coming from a place of jealousy and hatred. And Jesus brings us into judgment for it because he actually gets at the root. of Jesus is always going at the root. You know, he says, if you look upon a woman with lust, adultery is already in your heart. 
He says, you call somebody a fool out of anger or jealousy or resentment or anything like that. He said, you know what's actually in your heart? It's a heart of murder. That's hardcore. I'm thinking, Jesus, I ain't trying to kill nobody. I just don't like the person. But he's saying, no, at the root, you don't understand. If you allow this thing to grow and you don't nip it in its bud and you don't uproot this thing from your heart, it has the potential to lead you into a place that you do not want to be as a human being, especially as a Christ follower. And this is why he says in verse 25 and 26, he says, Agree with your adversary quickly while you are on the way, lest your adversary deliver you to the judge, and the judge hand you over to the officer, and you be thrown into prison. He said, And you will not be out. Get out of there until you've paid the last penny. Now what he's doing here is he's using the the language, and he's saying, here's the issue. Unforgiveness is a willful rejection of the supreme ethic of love. Unforgiveness is a willful rejection of the supreme ethic of love that Jesus Christ demonstrated to us on the cross. And here's what he's saying. He's saying when you don't... Your adversary in this, in this situation is somebody that, that's hurt you, that you disagree with. He says, agree with your adversary quickly while you're on the way. He says, if not, the adversary will hand you over to the judge, which in this situation is God, and the judge will hand you over to the officer, which in this situation is Satan, and he will throw you into the prison. There's a prison there. He uses this mentality. Now, when I think about things like this, I always wrestle. When we talk about spiritual warfare, I always wrestle with how much I should share. Because I've seen some, anybody seen some crazy stuff in their life? I've just seen some crazy stuff. I can't help it. I sat down and I counseled with people who have been through some terrible stuff sometimes. And when you start praying for them, there's some bad things that happen. And when we talk about the demonic, nobody really wants to bring it up. But I'm telling you right now, I'm going to tell you one story to keep you all from... Freaking out too bad. Is that okay? I, I tell the Lord sometimes, I say, Lord, should I actually share this story with these people? Because, you know, we want our church to grow. And, and, and we don't want to freak people out. And, and, and the Lord said, well, you know, I mean, here's the thing. I, I, there are a lot of church growth models that they just, they're, they're looking to make everybody as comfortable as possible. And look, we really do. We want people to be comfortable. We do. But more than that, we want you to grow into a mature Christian. And if it's in the book then we probably should preach it and we probably should share it. And you cannot read the Gospels, you cannot read the New Testament, the book of Acts, without the reality of demonic activity going on. So this, I've seen this happen several times. And one time specifically when Donald and I were ministering to a young lady, she was, she was, she, she was, there was some demonic activity going on in her life. I'll just say it like that. And we were having a conversation with her and when we were having this conversation with her, we, we found out that when she was young, she had been molested, and she had never, ever dealt with that issue. And, and we actually have seen this happen several times, but in this particular instance, it, it was very unique because we were walking her through forgiveness, and we were telling her to pray for forgiveness for that person. And as soon as we mentioned it, she just began to sort of do this and tighten up. And we said, no, no, you're in control. You have control. You have control. You, you get to decide what you, what you want to do here. So you need to pray for forgiveness for this person. And she, she tried to say it like three or four times, could not get it out of her mouth. She'd say, I forgive, and just stop. Just like that. And I thought, wow, this is weird, God. As for, it was the first time I'd ever seen it quite, quite like that. And, then, and, then, and she just couldn't, she couldn't get it out. And so finally we told her, we said, just say it, just say it. And she came out and she said it. And as soon as she said, I forgive, and she said the person's name, as soon as she said it, immediately her eyes changed. Something changed in her face, and, she, and a, her voice was different. And she said, no, I don't. Just like that. Just immediately. 
Something else had taken control. And here's what I want you to understand is that spiritually, I know that's spooky and you'll be like, I ain't never come back to this church. They believe in crazy stuff in here. Hey, look, I didn't believe in it before I saw it. But what, what was revealed to me in that moment, and, and again, when we're talking about forgiveness, this is a rare occasion. We're, we're not talking about people that, people that get a severely oppressed a lot of times are not, deal, are not dealing with things that are going to manifest in, in this matter. But she began to pray, and in, anyway, she ended up experiencing deliverance. But I've seen several times where people come to that point where you deal with the pain and the hurt that is in their heart. And listen, when we talk about this, we're talking about some serious pain. There are some people that have been through some horrifying things. And they need to be loved. They need to be cared for. They need to be nurtured. But let me tell you something. They do not need to be given license to remain where they are at. And they cannot be healed inwardly without forgiveness. It will not happen. It will not happen. And so spiritually, when we're talking about spiritual warfare, forgiveness is one of the greatest acts of spiritual warfare that you can enact against the demonic. And they know it. That's why they fight so hard to keep. This is why Paul is saying, look, boys, if y'all forgive anybody, I'm going to go ahead and forgive them too in the presence of Christ for your sakes, lest Satan should take advantage of us because we're not ignorant of his devices. We understand that he's looking to bring bitterness in our hearts. He's looking to get us to hate people. He's looking to cause all of our pain and all of our abuse and all of our rejection and abandonment and everything else we've experienced to pile on to us so that he can keep us in bondage. To hate God hate people, reject everybody else, and build walls in our life. Somebody amen me on that. You know it's true. You know it's true. And this girl ends up getting set free, and, 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 and people need inner healing, but inner healing is not possible without forgiveness. And Satan, listen, he fights so, so hard in this area. That's, that's an unusual set of circumstances, but I'm telling you, I've seen people on a more practical level I've seen people just finally come to a decision where they realize they need to forgive themselves and they need to forgive others, and they say it out of their mouth, and they just begin to cry. And they say, man, I feel like a burden has been lifted off of me. I feel like something has been broken out of my life. And Because all of a sudden what they've done is they have broken the legal right for Satan to imprison them any longer. When you choose to hold unforgiveness and bitterness in your heart against anybody, it gives Satan legal access into your life keep you in bondage and he keeps hate there he keeps bitterness there he keeps fear there he keeps resentment there and all of a sudden your your entire life you're, you're you're in this torment you're in this torture because of it satan fights so so hard in this area because he wants love destroyed it's really as simple as that proverbs 6 says there are six things that god hates seven that are an abomination to him right and the scripture says that it lists these these seven things it says if you know a lying tongue a proud look hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are swift to running into evil. And then the, the last one, it says, it says a false witness that speaks lies. And then the last one is he who sows discord among brethren. You ever thought about that? He who sows discord among brethren. Have you ever sowed discord among brethren? Somebody, come on and just come into agreement. Let's confess this morning. It feels good to confess. Yeah, I've sown discord among brethren, Lord. I know you hate that. I've done it. Sometimes not, not willingly, I didn't desire to do it, but I've done it. And see, Satan is the accuser, and he comes to bring lies and condemnation and accusation. And he will, look, Satan will come, and if you'll play it out in your mind for a minute, because sometimes in your mind when you're looking at other human beings, you've got this constant dialogue of, like, judgment going on. You know what I'm saying? You look at that person, you're lining them up. What kind of person are they? Yep. 
I made my judgment on that person. What kind of person are they? I made my judgment on them. And we're making judgments about people constantly. I have people come up to me all the time. You know, when I first met you, Clay, I thought you were a jerk. I'm thinking, bro, how'd you do that? But, but, but the issue is we all do it, don't we? We make judgments based on what we see, but Satan takes that opportunity to point the finger and to say, and to say in your mind, well, they're this way. You better watch out for that one. This person's just that. And then we'll even make statements about these people. And sometimes we'll say it to other people. Did you hear about so-and-so? I mean, we need to pray for them, man. You know what's going on with them, this and that, and this and that, and this and that. And next thing you know, you have painted a picture about that person, and the picture looks awful. And suddenly, very suddenly, what you've actually done is sown discord among brethren. You have painted a negative light or a negative picture of another brother or sister that God loves and has created in His image. Right? And the Lord says, this is dangerous. This is, this is, this is the, the devil's device. This is Satan's work. This is what he loves to do. He loves to divide and conquer. And so my question is, is what are your underlying motives when you actually speak about people? Because let me tell you something. We live in a world where Satan has got the entire world in bondage to this stuff. And this is why people hate to come to church. This is why so many people, when you invite them to church, they don't want to come because all they see are the hypocrites. You know what I'm saying? All they see are the people. And here's the thing. The church is never perfect. Everybody in here is messed up. That's why I'm saying it should be easy for us to forgive because I, I should expect every single person in here to hurt me at some point. But it's going to be real easy when I can just say, ah, but it's all right, I forgive you. If I can just learn to allow that to be the position of my heart, then I can truly love people freely the way that Jesus loved people freely. And I, and I want to give a, a place to the enemy to do this. And when one person does wrong, though, to us, here's what happens. One person does me wrong, I hold the whole world accountable. And then bitterness grows, and I don't want to be in a relationship with nobody now. I don't want to trust nobody now. I'm telling you, I know, I understand it hurts, but it's no way to live. You know, Jesus got hurt by a lot of people, didn't he? He got spat upon, he got betrayed by, Jesus, by Judas. Judas gave him a kiss and betrayed him. Did it affect his relationship with you? It didn't. He forgave Judas. He forgave you and I. He didn't say, well, you know what? If I save Clay, Clay's going to hurt me. And I'm sure I have. But it didn't affect his relationship with me. He kept his heart open. And if Jesus can do it, then he can teach us how to do it too. Now, here's what it says in Hebrews 12, 15. It says, watch over each other and make sure that no one misses the revelation of God's grace. And make sure no one lives with a root of bitterness sprouting within them, which will only cause trouble and poison the hearts of many. That's the Passion Translation. See, it poisoned the hearts of many. The scripture, another verse says that, that, that the root of bitterness would grow up, and by it, many will be defiled. Because if you'll notice, bitterness is social and it expands. If one, one person can come into a body or a family or a group of people and that one person can just be emanating all this bitterness and before you know it, that bitterness has expanded beyond just that one person, hasn't it? It's infected an entire group of people because they've allowed that stuff to spread among them. He says you've got to watch each other. Watch each other and make sure that nobody lives in that because that seed has the potential to grow up and, and spread throughout the whole church. But here's what I want you to understand, that if your primary devotion is to Jesus, then you will not allow hurt or wrong or offense to spread through His church. Now I want you to understand that, here's what Paul says to the members of his church, and he knows that the church is flawed, 
But here's what you got to understand is that you got to choose to love and protect the church of Christ even when its members hurt you. I've pastored at, I, I've, I've pastored at three churches. I've been, I've, been a member, I've been a member of three churches. And at each one, I can take you to a point in time where a person or people definitely, without question, offended me and hurt me. But you know what? I can go to the past two churches. Matter of fact, I'm going to preach the pastor appreciation sermon at the church that I left three years ago. Because when, when I left, even though, look, man, there were people that left the church. I took a chandelier down, they got matter and fire. You know what I'm talking about? We get offended all over all kind of stuff. We'll change stuff on the screen up here, move a, move a microphone and say, I can't believe they moved the microphone. <laughs> you know, I mean, people get ticked off over the weirdest stuff. And then, and then there's this division in the church. 30 people leave, half the church quits, and then they start talking about you bad all over town and saying lies about you. I mean, this stuff happens. It happened to me. And you know what the Lord said? He said, son, you got to forgive them, and you got to love them, and you got to protect them. Don't you let a word come out of your mouth that is going to tear down that individual. Yeah, you went through it. Yeah, it hurt, but you don't have the right to stay there. And I want to keep a relationship strong between you and this church and you and this people. And see, that's what you have to do. It's, 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 it's not that you're not going to experience bad things. It's going to hurt. Stuff is going to hurt. And sometimes there are going to be su- such bad things happen that there really does have to be. There, there really is a divide. Like, see, the Lord did move me out of there, didn't he? He didn't say stay. He just said love them, forgive them, maintain relationship. Sometimes you have to leave. But you can leave on good terms. There may be a time, and here's what happens sometimes. Is I've noticed this. is Sometimes even the Lord will call a person to leave a church. But because, but, but because the Lord is calling them to leave, they feel like in order to justify their leaving, they got to get mad at somebody. I'm thinking, why you got to get mad at somebody? Just come and say, we love you, but the Lord is telling us to go. I mean, as simple as that. It's, it's, it's such an unusual thing in how Satan begins to work his way into this thing. Here's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 6, 6 verses 7 and 8. I love this. He said, wouldn't it be far better... To just take it. Wouldn't it be far better to just take it? To let yourselves be wronged and forget it? Now he's talking about in context of the church. He's saying, look, what happens is somebody hurts you and y'all make a mess out of it. And then everybody finds out about it and the world finds out about it. And when the world looks at the church, the world says, man, they're just as jacked up as we are. Ain't nobody wants to try going there. Seems like I got peace at the house. I ain't trying to go into the church where everything bad is happening. He's saying, wouldn't it be far better to just take it, to let yourselves be wronged and forget it? All you're doing is providing fuel for more wrong, more injustice, bringing hurt to the people of your own spiritual family. That's a good word, isn't it? Anybody amen to me this morning? Anybody, anybody say, this is good. This is good, Pastor. I appreciate you preaching this. Yeah, this is good this morning. Ephesians 4.26, here's what, here's what it says. It says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. They go hand in hand. He says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Now, here's the issue. Anger itself is not sin. You ever had something happen, you just, all of a sudden, you start boiling, you know, you, that anger comes up. Mm. See, it's not sin just yet. It's sin when you begin to act upon that anger. Y'all know exactly what I'm talking about. Y'all felt it this week. There's something happened to some of y'all. You just immediately, I mean, you, you started to boil. You about punched a dude. I mean, last night Purdue, be, last night Purdue beat Ohio State by like 
<laughs> 49 to 20. I texted Brian. I said, man, this is the best game I've ever seen, Brian. Brian said, yeah, I'm about to punch Sean in the face, but... He said, I'm some man, I'm about to punch Sean in the face, but the Holy Spirit ain't letting me. I said, well, you better not quench your spirit, brother. <laughs> Be angry and sin not. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. Neither give place to the devil. So the Lord taught me this early on, especially in marriage. We've been married four years now, me and Andrea. And, and early on, we first got married, man, there was a fight game. And, and anybody who's married know it. The fights are going to come, amen, right? It's just going to happen. Expect it. If you, can just, if you can just get that word in your heart this morning, just, just picture me going, expect it. <laughs> I mean, it's, when it happens, it's, it's going to happen. So, but here's what the Lord said. I remember the, probably, it probably wasn't, I don't know, a week into our marriage. I can't remember. We just got in one of them good fights. You know what I'm talking about? We're talking about one of them good fights. And, and, and we're just arguing back and forth. And finally, she just goes to bed, shuts the door real hard behind her and lays down. And I'm sitting there like, yeah, yeah you go in there. Talk to me like that. And I heard the Holy Spirit say, Son, you can't let the sun go down on your anger like that. So you got to go in there and deal with this before it takes And immediately the Holy Spirit made me go back in there, made me apologize, made me say I was wrong, made me say I was sorry. Please forgive me. Don't hold this against me. And He would not allow it to go, He would not allow me to go to bed angry like that. Because here's what happens anger is not bad if it's dealt with quickly. But what happens is, is anger leads to a place where. Over time, if it hangs around long enough, then it becomes unforgiveness. It becomes bitterness in your heart. If you let anger sit there and boil long enough, you get bitterness in your heart, and it stays in your heart there for a while. And here's what you have to understand is you've got to keep short accounts. 1 Corinthians 13, one place it says, Love keeps no record of suffered wrongs. It keeps short accounts. It doesn't hold on to things for a long time, it lets those things go. Because if you hold on to that anger and you let that bitterness begin to set up in your heart, what begins to happen is you literally give place to the devil. He will be attracted to your anger and he will immediately... I'm telling you, as soon as something traumatic happens in your life, I tell people this all the time, when something traumatic happens, you are immediately entering into spiritual warfare because Satan will look at this traumatic thing that has happened to you and he will say, boys, dispatch. They're frustrated, they're angry, surround them. Give them as many negative thoughts as you can possibly imagine. Try to keep them locked into that anger. Allow bitterness to set up. Allow those things to begin to take root in their heart because if you can do that, she's going to open the door, he's going to give me a place, I can step in. That's his strategy. And that's why you have to keep no record of wrongs. You got to learn to be quick to forgive because you're not just dealing with. It's not just you and them. It's not. We're not wrestling against human beings here. This is a war for your soul. It's not just you and somebody else. It's far deeper than that. We're not wrestling against flesh and blood. There's there's a lot more going on here. And when you give him an opportunity, there's another translation that says, do not give the devil a chance to exert his influence. He looks at that pain, that trauma, that anger as an opportunity to take root into into your life. And once he gets in there, next thing you know, we've lost love. We begin to speak evil about others. Before long, we're sowing discord and we're divided. I want to finish with just a few things here. And I want to give you four, four rules of war. Now, this is just in basic relationships. I ain't even talking about deep stuff. I'm just talking about basic relationships. I'm not talking about serious abuse or anything like that. 
but I'm talking about in our day-to-day relationships as Christians. Number one, the rule of war that I come up with is, is once you've forgiven someone, you can't bring up a past situation to justify your present offense. Once you've forgiven somebody, I can't bring up a past situation to justify my present offense. Put it to you like this. So, so let's say uh, Andrea does something, and I get angry at her. I'm mad. I'm frustrated because she, she shouldn't have acted that way. She shouldn't have done this thing to me, right? But then she says, forgive me, I shouldn't have done that. I say, all right, I forgive you. It's all good. A month goes by. Everything's good. All of a sudden, she does one thing wrong. I blow up. I resurrect the thing that happened a month ago and said, see, you always do this. You did that a month ago. Anybody amen me on that? I don't get the right, if I have forgiven her, to resurrect what I forgave her for a month ago. I don't get a right to resurrect that. But what we do, man, is we'll keep a record. We'll keep a list. Well, they did that wrong. And you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to use this list right here to manipulate them. I'm going to use this list to hold against them so every time I want them to do something I want them to do, I'm going to bring up what they did wrong to make them feel bad so that hopefully they'll do what I want them to do. Yeah, we've all done that. Number two, the goal of communication is understanding, not agreement. The goal of communication is understanding, not agreement. Now, this is a hard one to learn because what happens is, is you say, well, you think in your mind, okay, well, we've we got to figure this out. Because we're fighting, we're arguing, we got to figure this out. So we begin to talk. And oftentimes when you begin to talk, tempers just flare even more because you're not saying the right things. You know what I'm talking about? And then all of a sudden you've talked your way into a bigger mess than in the beginning. And you're thinking, man, I ain't even meant a lot of this stuff I've said. I'm just mad. And that's, that's really what you're doing. But here's what you got to understand. When you're communicating, the goal is not agreement. The goal is understanding. And what that means is both of us think we're right. Or we wouldn't be fighting in the first place. Both of us think we're right, but my goal is not to get you to agree with me that I'm right and you're wrong. My goal is just to get you to understand why I feel the way that I do. So what we're doing is we're coming together and we're saying, look, you may not agree with this, but this is how how you acted made me feel. And we put our hurts, we put our feelings out on the table, and guess what we both do? We come to an agreement that we're both wrong. If we're going to agree on anything, we're going to agree that we're both wrong. It's not about right. Because listen, when you're in a relationship, if you're a Christian, if it's your spouse or if it's just a brother or sister in Christ, you're on the same team. That means if one of you loses, if one of you is wrong, you're both wrong. We're on the same team. Number three, never assume you know why somebody did something. You don't know someone else's motives. What The last thing you want to do is become the accuser. Oh, I know why they did that. Because they're this way, and they're this way, and they're that way. You've just stepped into the role of Satan himself, who is the accuser of the brethren. You don't know why. Let me tell you something. You don't know why you do most things. You can, you don't even, sometimes I don't even know my own motives. I, I look back at my life, I'm thinking, why did I do that yesterday? I don't even know why I do stuff. How am I going to step into the position where I can figure out why other people do stuff? Here's the other thing. You've got no idea what other people are going through. And sometimes they're carrying so much stuff with them, they blow up. I get people all the time. I'll be saying something, they'll blow up on me, they'll say something crazy, and I do my best to back up and I think in my mind, you know what, I have no idea what they're going through. So they can talk about me for a minute, they can blow up, they just need to release some stress because they're, they're going through some stuff. They're struggling. I'm going to give them a break. I'm going to give them a pass because i got no clue. This is not against me. This is something deeper. So I'm going to give them a pass on that. Number four, forgiveness restores a standard. See, 
You give up the right to act how someone else acts when you forgive them. A clean slate is restored. See, when Jesus forgave you, you know what he did? He restored to you a clean slate as if you'd never sinned against him at all. Now imagine if Jesus didn't do that for us. Imagine if Jesus resurrected our past all the time. See, it restores a standard. But here's the other thing with that, is what standards do you currently have in your relationships? I know, I know we're getting late, but I got, I got to really dig into this because this is serious right here, okay? What standards do you have in your relationships? Is it okay for you to yell? Is it okay for you to cuss at somebody in your relationship? Is it, is it okay every now and then to just put your spouse or a friend or somebody down in front of others and to others? Have you just accepted that as like okay behavior? It's good. You can do that sometimes. Listen, there are certain things in your relationship that you're allowing to happen, and it's just unacceptable. And what you need to do is say that right there, that kind of behavior, we need to pinpoint that and say that can never happen. And I, listen, I'll tell you, I, I'm, let me, just to make you feel better, I did something that was absolutely unacceptable this, this past week. And it's really, I had a totally different message prepared for this Sunday. And Andre and I, there were stressful things going on. We were driving down the road. We got, I said something, and she just responded. Of course, she'd been going through some rough stuff. And she responded and got a little heated. You know what that does to me? It gets me a little heated. And I, and I said, and, and before I knew it, what came out of my mouth was I said things like, you're just being manipulative and controlling, and you think you can tell me what to do all the time. I'm just supposed to listen to everything you tell me to do. And I called her manipulative and controlling. Now, what was that? I became an accuser. I, I, I stepped into the role of Satan in that area. And you know what? I didn't even notice it until later. And I'm sitting down, and I was studying for the other message that I was going to pre preach, and the Holy Spirit said to me, no, son, you're going to preach something different. And he said, matter of fact, I'd like for you to get up and tell everybody that you got played by the devil this week. <laughs> and he said, because here's the thing. When we think about devil, we think about heads turning and people vomiting out the mouth and, and all that stuff. But the truth is, is the devil is at work in the pastor's life whenever he speaks over his own wife something that is what Satan wants her to think about herself. And when he said that to me, as soon as the Holy Spirit said that to me, he said, you got played by the devil. I immediately, I was, at, I, I was, I was working and, and she, she was at work too. I sent her a text. I said, you know what? I lied to you the other day. And out of my anger, I said this about you. And those are lies from the devil. That is not from God and it's not from me. I said, the truth is you're loving, you're compassionate, you're kind, and you're a blessing to all the people that are around you. You're not controlling, you're not manipulating. You're not any of those things. That's not who you are. That's not who Jesus says you are. So I, I, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said those things. See, and what we do is we, we allow Satan to play us, and we end up speaking things over our friends, over our children, over different people. And guess what? We are actually enforcing Satan's identity on their life. So in Matthew chapter 18, I probably need to skip that. <laughs> But the issue in Matthew chapter 18 is, is, is he's trying to point out the same thing that we've said so, so many times. You can read Matthew chapter 18 for yourself. But it's, it's the place where, where Jesus gives, he gives instructions and he says, look, if your brother sins against you, he said, here's what you need to do. He says, you need to go to your brother alone and try to make it right with your brother. Now, what he didn't say is, hey, when your brother sins against you, you need to make a, a, a passive aggressive post on Facebook. 
When your brother sins against you, make a passive-aggressive post on Facebook. That, they used to call it subtweeting. Y'all ever heard of subtweeting? You make somebody real mad and you, you, you know that they're mad at you or whatever, then all of a sudden they make a post on Twitter or something like that. That right there make you mad enough to go punch them. So the Lord says, no, you got to go to them yourself. And he says, and if they don't hear you, go get two or three more and, and come so that every, every word will be established. Now, if somebody's against you, and here's the other thing, let me say this. If, so, if you know that there's something wrong between you and your brother, you don't even come to your pastor first. Because, look, you don't even want to spread that further than it has to go. Keep it between you and them, if at all possible. If at all possible, keep it between you and them because you just don't want to spread it any further than it needs to go. And, and, then, and then if they don't hear you, he says, well, then go get two or three more. And when you get these two or three more, don't get two or three more that are going to take your side because they're not there to take your side. They're there to bring peace. And then he says, so go get those two or three more. And he says, and if they don't hear you, bring them before the church. And he says, and if they don't hear you then, he says, then treat them as a tax collector or a sinner. And, here's what, and, that, and we think, well, that means, hey, buddy, that means tell them they ain't going to make it when they die. No, no, what he's saying is now, you, if, if, they, if it goes that far, he's saying, truth is they're probably not saved. And you know what that means? You need to treat them like a lost person, which means you love them anyway, and you forgive them anyway, and you pray for their salvation anyway, and you hope that they'll be restored anyway. He says, treat them that way. He says, but here's the issue is that, and he tells a parable, and he says there's this king that forgives his servant like $10 million. And the servant falls down on his face and says, Lord, forgive me. I, I'm sorry I didn't pay you my debt and this and that. And, and the king says, all right, I forgive you the $10 million. Immediately that servant gets up and he goes and he finds a dude that owes him $100. And the dude falls down and says, I'm sorry, I, I, I have not paid my debt. And he says, no, you've got to pay your debt. And he picks him up, throws him into prison. And the other servants say, listen, you just forgave him $10 million. He wouldn't forgive his servant $100. And the king said, go get, go get that wicked servant. And he, says, and, and he says, because you would not forgive your brother's debt, even when I forgive you this great debt, he says, therefore, he, he handed him over to the torturers. That sounds crazy, doesn't it? Put it up there. Put 35 and 36 up there. Verse 35 and 36 of that big parable. So my heavenly Father will also do to you. All right, go back. Verse 34, yeah. And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. Now, here's what he's saying. It's not that God wants you to be tortured. He's saying that if you realize how much Jesus has forgiven you, and you will not forgive somebody else who has hurt you. Legally, Satan has access to your soul. And he says, God has no other opportunity but to give you over to his influence. And then he says in the next verse, so my heavenly Father will also do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. I want you all come to the music right quick. Now see, this is a big deal. He says, from your hearts... You've got to make a decision in your heart and choose to verbalize. Because when you make a decision in your heart to forgive and you choose to verbalize it out of your mouth, what you're doing is not only are you just doing something for yourself and for the other person, but you're doing something that is an act of spiritual warfare and the enemy knows that he can no longer bind you in that area, that he has no legal right to torment you there, to torture you in that area. Now, anybody who's lived in unforgiveness and pain from something that's happened, you know, how many would agree, I, I know the torment that comes from living in bitterness. Who would raise their hand and agree with that? I know how that works. It's awful. 
And, and I believe the Lord wants to restore relationships. I know, I know this, this stuff is the number one sin that destroys marriages and families and splits churches. But I'm going to give you five last things that's in your notes. And many people choose to live in unforgiveness, one, because they refuse to be wrong. And I've said that a million times already. You, you just got to get over it. You're already wrong. Number two, they want justice. My own arrogance will blind me from the amount of mercy that I have received in sinning against God. And listen, if, let me tell you something. If I deserve justice, if you and I got justice, what would happen to us? Death. If we got justice. See, if you want that standard placed on everybody else, you better start living by that standard yourself. Because Jesus says with the measure you measure out to others, it's going to be measured back to you. And number three, they need a reason to justify their actions. Right? It helps me whenever I destroy relationships to say, well, the reason I'm doing this is because they did this. And it helps me to justify my actions, so therefore I don't want to forgive. Number four, they're convinced their feelings are their convictions. Just because you feel bitter and angry doesn't mean that you can't choose to forgive. And what I'm telling you is that in order to release that bitterness, in order to release that anger and that resentment, you have to choose to forgive even when you feel like you can't. Your feelings are not your convictions. And lastly, number five, they think they have to trust the violator. You know, trust is essential in marriage, but there ain't nobody got to trust a rapist. You understand what I'm saying? There are some people that do things that don't mean I have to trust them anymore. It just means that I do have to forgive them. I may not necessarily have to ever be around them again. God's not always asking me to go back and talk to that person, have a conversation with that person. There's some people that we just don't need to trust and we don't need to be around sometimes. That's just the truth. It's not that I have to trust them, but I do have to forgive them. It is required. And so that's where it's at. I want you to stand to your feet. Now, the first thing is, we got to deal with forgiveness on three levels. We got to receive forgiveness from God. We got to forgive ourselves. And we got to forgive others. So, first, first things first, who this morning. You say, look, I, I need to follow Jesus. I want to live for Jesus. And the first thing that I need to do is receive forgiveness from my sins. And I want to follow Jesus. Would you just lift your hand? There's several people here. Anybody else? That's good. Can I have some of the prayer team to come up here? Some of the prayer team to come up here just to be here for people here in a minute. Now, you can put your hands down just for a minute. Now, now who would say... You know what I need to do also? I need to forgive myself for some things. For some things that I've done. And lastly, I know that this, this morning the Holy Spirit has put some people on my heart that I just want to make sure my heart's clean. And I just need to let some things go. I need to let some bitterness go. I just want to make sure my heart's clean. And I just need to, before the Lord, just, just, just forgive some people and release them this morning. Anybody say, I, I, I need to do that. I need to make sure my heart's clean this morning. I'm telling you, this is an act of spiritual warfare, so here's what we're going to do. I want us to pray. I'm going to lead us all in, in a little bit of a prayer here. And then after we get done praying, I, I want as many of you that need prayer specifically for anything to come up and share with one of these folks up here. And, and you can share with me and we'll pray for you if you need prayer. But let's, let, I want you to just close your eyes, open your heart up to the Lord. And just sort of, sort of begin to pray like this. And the first thing we do is we're going to confess our sins. Lord, I confess my sins. 
And God, I, I bring them to you. And see, here's the thing. Sometimes it helps whenever you just confess it specifically. So if there's something that's coming to your mind, Lord, I confess my pride. God, I confess the sins that I've done in my relationships. I've treated my spouse in ways that I should not have treated her. I've said things that I shouldn't have said. Lord, I've said things about my friends that, I've sh- that I should not have said. I confess those sins to you, Lord. I confess whatever it is. Just, just give it to the Lord. Lord, I'm confessing that sin right now. But the good news is, is that your word says that if we confess our sins, that you are faithful and just to forgive us of all of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So, Lord, we just thank you for your forgiveness. Because when you forgive us, God, it's a full work. We're cleansed by your blood. And we are forgiven of every sin. And that means that Satan no longer has any legal right because of the sins that we've committed. Sometimes you got to tell him that. Sometimes you got to say, Satan, you no longer have any legal right to my mind, to my body, to my spirit because I've been washed in the blood of Jesus. I am forgiven and I am clean and I am free. And then just say, Lord, I forgive myself for the things that I've done. The things in my past. And as I forgive myself, Jesus, I declare that you took my shame and my guilt and I no longer hold on to it. I release all my shame and all my guilt and I put it on the cross where it belongs because you've died to make me free. And Lord, because I'm forgiven, I choose as an act of my will to forgive those who have hurt me. I want you to say it out of your mouth. Just begin to pray. Say, Lord, I forgive this person for abusing me, for lying to me, for hurting me. I forgive them, God. I release them to you, God. I no longer lay anything to their account, but I'm releasing them to you now. And all of the bitterness and all the anger and all the hatred that's in my heart, God, all of that stuff that's there because of this bitterness, I command it to go now and I release it, God, to you. In Jesus' name. And here's what I also believe. that In this moment, listen, I know sometimes when we're dealing with relationships that it's often a two-party thing. And I believe the word of the Lord this morning that if you will continue to pray because some of you right now are in the heat of the battle of, of, of broken relationships. And there's been anger and there's been frustration. And listen, I'm telling this to somebody in here right now. For some of you, the reason things are not going well is because the person you're dealing with is so hurt and so wounded. And I don't know why they're hurt, why they're wounded. But it's not about you all the time. A lot of times it's about what's going on in their heart. And so, Lord, for those people that are hurt and wounded, we pray right now that you would minister to them by the power of your Spirit. And, God, that you would bring the inner healing that they need. And you would enter into those wounds and enter into those pains. And I'm telling you, for some of you, I know it's a tough place to do it on a Sunday morning. But some of you, you're hurting. And you need to allow Jesus to walk into that pain. So Jesus, we just invite you right now. We invite you to walk into that pain. We invite you to walk into that hurt and to bring healing right now in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name.